Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. We're doing what has been done for some 2,000 years since the early church met. They met on the first day of the week to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That means it's sort of like Easter here every Sunday because uh, that's the most important thing that has happened in the history of the world and has uh, changed us from the inside out. Welcome. If you're a first time with you, I've, I've met several first time guests today. We're so glad to have you. And uh, we hope you'll come back and let us get more acquainted and uh, you'll be friends and part of our family here. We're here to love the Lord together. And please take a moment and fill out a connection card in the bulletin that's there and put it in the offering plate when it's passed. We really appreciate that so much. Uh, I want to invite you. uh, Wednesday, our our elders um, are intent on us being a better praying congregation. And that's a great vision to have and a great practice to have, and so we're going to come together as a church to pray um, once a month, and we're going to do that this Wednesday night from 6:15 to 7:30 in the sanctuary. Doesn't mean necessarily you have to pray out loud if you're shy or still learning to pray, but just come join us, and uh, little by little, let's become a greater praying congregation. That's this coming uh, Wednesday night at 6:15. God is worthy of our praise, our uh, finest. And we want to give him that. His love does awaken us when we realize we've been loved, even though nobody knows us better than him. When we realize he loves us to the extent that he has, I mean, that that gets our attention. And we wake up. And that's why we're here. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for awakening us. Thank you for the majesty of your love and grace, your mercy. And we will spend our lifetimes trying to grasp how great those truths are. Father, we come together. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are struggling. Some of us have had the best weeks of our lives, perhaps. Some of us are at the peak, some in the valley, some on the brink of something great or something harsh. Whatever the the case, Father, here we are together to be encouraged by your truth. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Matthew chapter 4 as we begin this year walking with Jesus throughout the year. And as we walk with him, we're not necessarily going to be in the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they uh, write about Jesus. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans later on. But, but everything about the Bible gets back to Jesus. He's the centerpiece uh, of all that is. So we want to make sure we know him better all the time. Almost, well, probably, as far as Matthew goes in writing uh, about Jesus and his life as an eyewitness, Uh, The first words out of Jesus' mouth, once he begins his public ministry, are these. Repent and believe the good news. That was his message everywhere he went. And and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what our text says right at the beginning. Look at it, chapter 4 of Matthew, beginning of verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, this was a unique and Jewish tradition. In Jewish tradition, it was always the pupils or the disciples that went and found a rabbi or some other scholar that they wanted to follow. It didn't work like this. 
This is one of the things that makes, makes Jesus' teaching so different. Lots of things are so uniquely unusual in the way Jesus does things. And one is this, that he called certain people to come and follow him. And when he calls, uh, not only were their lives changed, but the history of the world changed. Jesus' call is always powerful, and that's why we need to understand it. Now, there are a lot of things about the Bible I don't understand. You know, there are some things, ways that God acts that I don't know why he acted that way. Or sometimes he, he withholds, and I don't know, understand why he withheld. There are certain things that Jesus teaches that I still scratch my head about. But the call, his call, we must not misunderstand. We have to have a full understanding of what it means to be called by Jesus Christ. Here are four things about his call. First of all, it's unique. It's unique. It's unique because of the nature of the good news. He said, repent and believe the good news. This is a news. This news, the Greek word here, is not daily news. Now, you may have looked at the paper this morning, but nothing changed about your life, and you could have done without it. Occasionally, you'll be exposed to a piece of news in the health world or the exercise world or in the science world, whatever it is, that's going to adjust something about your life. But typically, nothing's life-changing. You really haven't missed a whole lot if you didn't read the paper this morning. This news is a different kind of news. This word that Jesus uses is a word that grabs attention. It's life-changing. It's history-shaping. In fact, there's an ancient inscription found that says, this is the gospel, this, uh, this is the beginning of the gospel about Caesar Augustus. The word gospel is used because when Caesar comes to the throne, life is affected in the Roman Empire. So this word gospel is a, is a Greek word from that time, and, and we use it to understand the absolutely life-changing kind of news this is when we grasp it. That's what gospel is. Our, our lives are changed. The course of our lives are changed because of it. And it's good news because we don't have to be living, stay living the way we once were. The gospel changes our status. All the other religions of the world are about rule keeping. So hopefully you get in at the end of time. This gospel is such good news, meaning that whatever we need to get in has already been done for us, right? It's exactly what this is about. Someone has died in my place, though I should have died for them. Jesus Christ died in my place for the sins that I have committed, am committing, and will continue to commit uh, because of the cross that's all taken place. So in Jesus' day, you know, and before that, a herald would come to a city and announce such and such an enemy has been uh, defeated, and it meant peace for the kingdom. It meant uh, rest for the kingdom. It meant greater security for the king's kingdom. And so in that way, we are heralds to a world that needs good news. Jesus was that to us, and we become that for other people. So this is a unique call because of the nature of the good news. It's also unique because of the nature of the kingdom. Back in Eden, we saw our problem. Adam represents all of us. You want to be your own boss, and I want to be my own boss. I don't want anybody telling me how to live or what choices to make. But when Jesus Christ becomes our king, he does that because we before he can become our king, we have to recognize that we're all rebels at heart. We know that, right? We, we, we resist authority in our lives. And so because of that, the whole, the whole world as we know it is falling apart. 
Politically, we're falling apart. And the world scene, we're falling apart. Families fall apart without a core to their lives. Individual lives fall apart. The whole world becomes a mess of all kinds of loose ends when there's not a core. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, we're entering a kingdom. We're entering a kingdom, a different way of seeing the world, a different way of engaging the world, a different kind of message than the world has ever heard. So the kingdom of God looks to a day when God is going to renew all things. The Bible says that at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy all the material world with fire. Now, when we know that, what, what typically happens in the way we think is that, well, I'm not going to be about this world very much because it's going away anyway. Well, we're not a part of the world in its philosophy or its systems. But if God is going to destroy all the elements with fire, as Peter tells us, it means also, as Peter instructs, that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, complete overhaul is coming for heaven, for the heavens, for the heaven. That, when we enter the kingdom of God, therefore, we're a part of the renewing process of the world. It's not just about, well, I once was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. Once I wasn't a Christian, now I'm a Christian. You know, once I was out, now I'm in. It's bigger than that. It means because we're in Jesus Christ, we join him in, in engaging the world around us. We get involved in community things. We get involved in, in political things. We get involved perhaps in social service agencies in the name of Christ to make a difference, to improve the world in light of the fact that that's God's chief objective to bring renewal at all levels of the world. And so, our, our being followers of Jesus makes a huge difference when we understand the nature of the kingdom. That's why we love all people to new life in Christ. All right? So this is a unique call. It's also an extreme call. Jesus called these four men, and he said, I want you guys to leave your nets. In other words, leave your vocation. And you two over there, I want you to leave your family. Leave your dad, Zebedee, who probably, you know, wants you to work for him. Now, that doesn't mean they never fished again. It doesn't mean they never visited their family again. But what it means is, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to follow me. And if you're going to do that, this is what it's going to cost you. You've got to make me number one, whatever I say goes. And they did. They followed. That is an extreme call. Now, we don't like to preach that way or teach that way or talk to our friends that way because it sounds too radical. I've got a couple guys coming up here. Wesley, come on up, and Gavin. And they're going to help me. Um, this, uh, let's see, Wesley, you come over here and stand, okay? I did not tell you what I'm going to have you do, right? You don't have to do anything except look like a hypocrite, okay? Can you look like a hypocrite? Okay. Yeah, okay, okay, you look like a hypocrite. All right, so here's your hypocrite hat, okay? You are a lion. This is a lion. Now, you know what a, what a hypocrite is. That was weak. It's very weak, all right? Okay, all right. So, he's acting like a lion. A hypocrite is somebody who play acts. From the Greek culture, it was somebody who wore two masks. They, were, they would come on the stage as an actor and play a comedic role, and then they'd step off, change their mask, and then, don't take my spot, okay? You can't, you can't. All right, yeah, okay. So, so then you come on stage as a tragic character. So, so this is hypocrisy, and this is what Jesus hates, is, is play acting, all right? Gavin here represents, I need, uh, I need somebody's Bible. Give me a Bible. Anybody got a Bible? Surely somebody in church has a Bible. Okay, here we go. All right, thanks. All right. So, Gavin, you go over there a little bit. All right, Gavin is going to be our, he's, he's our, 
Last week, I used the word fan in a disparaging way. I used it in a way uh, challenging us not to simply be fans of Jesus, but sold out, right? Fan, of course, is short for fanatic. Now, in this context, I'm using it differently. Gavin is our fanatic and the way we view fanatics. This guy is sold out, okay? So, Gavin, you know, you always thinking about the Bible and uh, with this, just point your finger and growl at people. (laughs) You got too kind of face. You're supposed to look mean. He's the typical Bible thumper. That nobody knows how to be around because he's, he's, he's always negative, he's always condemning people, he's always shaming people, he's, he always feels better than anybody else, all right? That, that's this. Now, when, when we're believers, so often we think, now somehow I got to get on this, con- there's a continuum between the two. And I, don't, I know I don't want to be here because God will be ticked off with me. And I, don't, I, I know I can't be a hypocrite, but I certainly don't want to be a Jesus freak, so I've got to be careful how somewhere I've plot myself so I'm not really in a bad way with God, but I'm not so this way that people think I'm weird. So we try to place ourselves somewhere on this continuum. And friends, that just will not work. The problem is we don't understand really how fanatical this call is. It's extreme. There's nothing wrong with being a fanatic about the call of Jesus. We just have to understand it in the right way. Thanks, Wesley. You make a great lion. Okay. Don't make a good hypocrite. Okay. All right. Now, Gavin, yeah, I'm not done. All right. All right. Now, I want you to uh, just get on one knee. Hold the Bible. And hold a fishing pole. All right. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about realizing our lives, how broken we are, humbling ourselves before him, worshiping him as our God, our Lord. That's what's happened in us and to us. And with the rest of, because of that, we're always looking for people because we're burdened. We're burdened by people that don't know Jesus Christ. Now, if we go out with the fishing pole without the humility, that's when we become obnoxious and nobody wants to be around us. And they run from us because we're always judging, we're condemning. And sadly, that's how people often look at the church. And that's not what God calls us to be. On the other hand, if he goes out, you know, with, with the Bible only and says, well, it's all right between Jesus and me and does so without a pole, he's not taking the call of Jesus seriously. We have to repent and believe the good news. And, and, and basically, when Jesus asked, what are the two greatest commandments? What did he say? He said, love God and love people. That's what this is. Loving God in humility and loving people always with a fishing pole in your hand. Thanks, Gavin. All right. All right. You see, do you get it? Do you understand it? They have to somehow, we have to figure this out together. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to the campus tomorrow, when you go to, do you have a fishing pole in your hands? Have you taken it seriously that you're always looking for the fish to bite? You're always looking where the best place to go to go fishing. We need to do that all the time. Um, and, and, and when you do so, you ha- that's why we have to begin our day in prayer and humility. We have to always be seeing our sins that God is convicting us of. We have to be worshiping Him all the time because they have to come together. That's, what, that's, what the, that's why this is extreme, and we have to get this. Third, it's gradual. It's a process. He says, I will make you, I'm going to send you out to fish for people, fish for men, women, students, children. I'm going to send you out to fish for them. The Greek actually says, I shall be making you. 
or I'm going to make you to become. It's a, it's a process because following is a journey. I mean, face it, when you got married, did you really know what you were getting into? Maybe you shouldn't answer that. Of course we didn't. All we knew is that we were head over heels in love. And then the truth came, and no, I'm teasing. I have a great marriage. I have a great wife. Don't tell her I said that. Okay? Uh, I mean, the second part, tell her that, not the first part. Uh, you know, when, when you start your college career, do you really know what you're getting into in, 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 your, in your career court? No. Or you could get hired. You could be excited about a job you're having, and you get into the, oh, I hate this job. When we start, I was 11 years old as a baptized in Christ. I knew Jesus loved me. I knew he died on the cross. I knew I'd done some bad things against God. I knew I wanted to go to heaven, and I know I like going to church. That was it. And that's probably stretching it. Didn't always like church. Uh, but you know, when we start off, how much do we really understand? We really don't. And I'm so, thankful, I'm so thankful for the grace and the mercy of God who takes us in our elementary thinking and works with us. He's always calling us. I don't care where you are today. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what your life looks like. God is calling you further. Now, that may be an inside job. It may be something very visible outwardly, but he is never done with us, and we are never fully at the place that he wants us to be. And we read a text like this, and we don't think it's really about us, but it's for the Christian elite ones. When, uh, when my little girl, Chelsea, our youngest, was about four, Justin, our son, was about 11, and we went to Dr. Drigger's office right there, He's a bad dentist. You know, no, he's a good dentist, but who likes the dentist, right? We all like the dentist. And so I was preparing Chelsea to go to the dentist. Dr. Vigor's over on Rockville Road. Uh, Chelsea's 30 now, you know, so this is, you know, 26 years ago. So I'm preparing her to go to Doc Dr. Vigor's going to treat you so fine. He's going to put you back in a chair. When he says, open your mouth, open your mouth. He's going to look around, poke around. It's going to hurt, and it's not going to hurt, all that. We get in his chair, and she is a pain in the neck. She cries. She won't open her mouth. She doesn't cooperate one iota. And we get in the car, and I let her have it. And in retrospect, I was a terrible father at that point. And Justin was in the passenger seat. Chelsea was in the back, sucking her thumb, and I'm laying her low. There's no reason why you need to cry. Was anything hurt? Nothing was going to hurt. I told you nothing was going to hurt. I told you it was going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And finally, she pulls her thumb on. She goes, Are you talking to me or Dutton? I said, I'm talking to you. <laughs> now, there are certain texts that, you know, that we look in the Bible and we say, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's for the preacher. That's for the church staff. That's for the, that's for the people that have, have been a Christian. Friends, this is you. If you have named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's talking to you. He's called all of us. He called all of us to be serious about this call. About this call. Our message is to get people out of self-absorption, self-direction self in their own life, to stop being rebellious because the day of the Lord is coming, and he loves them with an, with an everlasting love. Our message must get out. And yet, we don't take him seriously enough. And with a, within a short period of time, you know, these disciples, I mean, they, 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 they had no idea where he was going. They didn't know where he was going. All, 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 all they knew was there was something about the way this man spoke 
having authority, not like one of the teachers of the law. There was something about his demeanor that they were so intrigued and they they knew they needed him and they followed him. And there are times in his ministry where they thought, why is he talking to her? Why is he going to that house to eat? Doesn't he know who those people are? Why are we going to Jerusalem? They hate him down there. One time Peter said, don't go there, Jesus. Don't, don't, and don't, don't be talking about dying on us. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the thing in mind the things of God but the things of man. And Jesus will do the same thing with us, friends. He takes us down paths and, and some, you know, we don't know where he's going. But all he says, you have to leave, leave whatever you're holding on to. For Peter and Andrew, it was their nets. And they were willing to let go of their nets. What are you holding tightly on to? that you know God is trying to pry out of your fingers. Your position, your lifestyle as you know it, that's easy and smooth. Your money. Have you gotten so used to an easy faith, belief, that there's nothing really hard you're doing for him? If you're not doing anything that's difficult to do in his name, I'm not sure you're paying attention to him because I think full obedience shakes our cages, rattles us. At seasons, not always, but at seasons of life. Finally, it's possible. It's possible. This call is possible. You may say, this is too hard for us, for me. I can't know. It isn't too hard. He says, follow me. Follow me, stick with me, go where I go, put me first, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep aligning yourself with me. And so often the disciples just didn't, didn't get it. You know, why, why are you taking this step? Has, has, what dead end have you ever experienced lately? You know, life is full of dead ends, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you're in a relationship and you realize this is going nowhere. And you break up with whoever you're dating. Or sometimes you're, 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 in, you're in a career program or a college, a degree program, and you think, this is not cutting it for me. And you stop and change degree programs, much to the chagrin of your parents who are paying the bill, right? Or, or, or you, get in a, you, you, you get stuck at a, you get in the middle of financial crisis. Or you can get in the middle of just a rearing children. You think, no matter what I do, nothing is happening, you know? And you feel like a failing parent. There are lots of things in our lives that we experience that we feel like we're at dead ends. But I remind you what happened to these 12 who left everything to follow Jesus. They got finally to Jerusalem and what happened? Their king, their leader was arrested. They left him. They followed him for three, three years. They've been sold out for him. And then what? Well, Judas gets to that last week of Jesus. He said, well, I might as well get something out of this. And so he betrays Jesus with that kiss. They're in the garden. They still don't understand what's about to happen. They fall asleep when Jesus asks them to pray with him. And then he's arrested. And what happens? Not only is he betrayed, but one of his closest friends, Peter, says, well, I don't know the guy. I don't know who he is. Then they find themselves they find them locked behind doors, afraid for their lives. No one comes to speak in his defense. I mean, to them, it feels like this, these three years have led to an absolute dead end. And God took what seemed like a dead end on the third day and brought life and breathed something into them. Those men would never have enjoyed had he not followed the call of his father. That's how God works, friends. I don't know where you are. You may feel stuck. You may feel like you're on a dead end, a cul-de-sac, I, something. But I tell you, if you love Jesus Christ today, he is not done with you, and he's calling you to something more.
whatever that is. George MacDonald said, the one secret of life and development is not in device and plan, but to do every moment's duty aright and to let come, not what will, for there is no such thing, but what the eternal thought wills for each of us has intended in each of us from the first. Where are you missing the call of God in your life today? Where are you gotten, gotten so used to the course of your life that you are just, you know, you're, you're overly satisfied? It's always calling us. And Jesus left his father. He obeyed his father's call in his life by leaving, leaving the atmosphere of, his, of, of God his father to come live among us. But when he came, it's so different for us. When we're called by God, when we're called by Jesus, we get a relationship with God through all the pains of our lives. When, when, when Jesus obeyed the Father, where did it take him? To death on the cross, six hours, where the Father forsook him. And Jesus experienced hell for us. He experienced that for us so that we could be in the arms of God today. We'll never have, have to know a God who forsakes us. And so, wherever you are in Christ today or not in Christ, he calls. Now, if you're outside of Jesus Christ, he wants you so much. He knows you better than anybody, and he still wants you as his own. He wants you as his own. And you know, for some people, that's easy. Some of it is inauguration day. We heard a phrase that we hear at every inauguration for Obama and for, the, for Clinton and for Bush and Reagan all the way back. There's always this phrase over and over again, the peaceful transfer of power. But you know when you come to Christ, it's not always so peaceful at first. You wrestle, you strike, you bite back. I don't want to because submission is hard. But finally, when you let go and lay down your life, there's no greater joy than when you transfer the power of your life, my life, onto the power of Jesus Christ within. And then we know a life-changing, life-shaping truth based on a person, Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him, let us walk with you. Let us walk with you toward the cross. If you're just confused about what it means to be a Christian, we love to talk with people one-on-one. -on -one. Let us know that. If, 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 if you're in a life group, great. If you're not in a life group, listen, friends, uh, you, you just need to wrestle more with people. There's lots to wrestle with. So let's just move further. Whatever that looks like for your life, let's, let's not be satisfied. Keep moving. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us to yourself. These are hard words. As brief as they are, as brief as they are, Father, they are such significant words. And I pray we won't leave here taking them lightly but that we'll wrestle with them, chew on them, we'll devour them until they come out in life as you want them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.